Welcome to the Big Dog Crypto Podcast. This is your number one crypto podcast to hear directly from the movers and shakers, innovators and disruptors in the cryptocurrency industry. Follow on Twitter for updates and to communicate directly at Wolf Big Dog. That's at Wolf Big D-A-W-G. Now, now, here is your host, the one and only Big Dog Crypto. And welcome to the latest episode of the Big Dog Crypto Podcast. I am your host, Big Dog Crypto. And our next guest is somebody that I've been trying to get on for a while, but she is busy. Natalie Brunel, how are you doing? Oh, well, I'm super happy to be on your show. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I, I appreciate you making the time. I know you have a lot going on. Um, so you have a podcast. Uh, let me ask you this. How much time do you spend doing your podcast uh, You know, during the week, during the month? Yeah. I mean, my podcast is now my full-time job, which I'm so grateful for because before this, I was doing the podcast as well as being a full-time news reporter in corporate media. Uh, so it's much more fulfilling to be my own boss. And in addition to this, I do a show called Hard Money on uh, YouTube. And I also travel around the world and educate people about Bitcoin and speak about Bitcoin at conferences. So I'm, I'm, I am busy, but really grateful because it doesn't feel like work when you're super passionate spreading the message of Bitcoin. Well, speaking of that, so you know, you're full-time in the space. Uh, you do a lot of stuff in the space. Do you remember where you were the first time you ever heard about Bitcoin? Yes. So it was back in 2017, and I was working as a reporter in Sacramento for the local NBC News affiliate. But I was going to San Francisco a lot because if you know anything about you know Sacramento or some of these smaller news markets, there's not as much to do as in the big cities. So a lot of us would drive to whichever was the closest you know big city. So I had friends, a friend group in San Francisco who were very involved in the tech scene there in Silicon Valley. A lot of them were working um, there. And uh, one of them just talked about Coinbase and Bitcoin. And I became curious. But at the time, I, I'm kicking myself because I wish I had been a little bit more curious to actually take the time to read some books or listen to some podcasts about Bitcoin. Instead, I just sort of thought, well, these guys are probably talking about it because it's like the new up and coming tech trend. Or I saw it almost more um, like investing in a tech company like Uber or a startup out of Silicon Valley. I didn't really understand it to be a, a new, better form of money. So that was the first time I heard about it. And then two years later, someone gave me The Bitcoin Standard by Saifedina Moose. I read that book, and that's what really changed my course and changed my mind and, and caused me to have such strong conviction in Bitcoin. So when you talk to family and friends, and if we go back, let's say, five years ago, what do you feel is the biggest difference now in not just the markets, but the perception, right, amongst people? And then when you would talk about it, let's say, in 2017, and you talk about it now, how do you feel the perception of crypto is to the general public? I think that there is a lot more curiosity now. And I think that the pandemic really changed so much. I don't think that we're going back in time in terms of this new world order that's sort of being set up. And I think a lot of people 
finally saw that their money is really losing value and that they need to put it in somewhere a little bit safer than in a currency that's controlled and manipulated by a government. So I think that there was more of a value proposition when they started to inject so much liquidity in response to the pandemic. Um, But I will say my friends are more curious now, but so many of them are still skeptical and they maybe have nibbled on Bitcoin here and there, um, largely, you know, because I talk about it so much. But it really does take a lot of time and research to fully understand Bitcoin and the problems that it's aiming to solve. Because if you don't understand the problem, you're not going to appreciate Bitcoin as a solution. And it does take time to really understand the history of money, how our financial system works, uh, what the consequences of money printing is. And uh, and my, my friends are busy with their jobs, so I'm trying to pull them down the rabbit hole. But so far, a lot of them are still reluctant. And I know that they're going to FOMO in when the prices back up really high. <laughs> yeah, you know what? There's no doubt about that. And it's it's interesting because I was talking, I was talking to my brother earlier. And you know, you look at 2017 where, you know, we, we hit what 17,000 and then and then the media wrote it as the obituary, like down to 3,000 or, or whatnot. And then 69,000 uh last November and then crashed to 20,000. I said, you know what? I said it's no one can predict the future, but I'm gonna tell you the obituary next year is Let's say we go to 120, we crash to 50, right? It just, it seems mm-hmm. to be that. So that brings up something else. So, you know, looking at, at, at your career and doing research into stuff that you've done, you've done reporting. You've been on many major, uh, uh, I didn't, I was looking at that, CNN and everywhere, um, and, 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 you know, all the stations. How do you feel the media? And this is, and I'm not saying that, so, so you're, you're very attuned to crypto Twitter and to all the, the, I always say like, it's almost like a fraternity of all of us, right? In crypto, like we know this, we can talk to each other about it, but the, the, the regular media, right? The mainstream media, how do you feel their coverage is in versus how it was? You, you know what I'm saying? Well, they're definitely more interested as well, especially when the price goes up, right? Now there is a ticker on a lot of the financial shows, but in large part, unfortunately, I still think that people in the media are just uninformed and they haven't taken the time to study Bitcoin. And I get, I mean, I get it. I know that it takes a while to really appreciate and understand it, but I also think that it's really irresponsible to report negative headlines or to report on something when there isn't the proper research done. And I, and that's a lot of what's happening and it's evident because Bitcoin's almost presented as a stock as you know an asset in in the in the same realm of you know buying Amazon or Apple and it's very very different and it's also not the same as crypto Bitcoin I think is extremely different from crypto the two get lumped together and you see um you know the prices of a bunch of different cryptocurrencies alongside each other when Bitcoin is really trying to separate money from the state and trying to drive at the heart of a lot of the issues that exist with concentration of power and central banking that has led to in my opinion, a lot of wealth concentration and disparity among our society. And the other cryptocurrencies aren't even trying to do that. They're not trying to fix our broken monetary system. So I hope that you know media outlets and media reporters do take the time to understand um, why Bitcoin exists and sort of how the financial works and financial system works in general. You know, there's definitely more of an understanding of the business cycle on the financial shows. But I will tell you, I come from you know general news. I've worked for ABC News and a ton of different local affiliates, and most of my colleagues unfortunately did not have the proper financial education, financial literacy education. 
education, myself included. I had to seek it out on my own for countless hours before and after work. And I really hope that, you know, at least the conversations that are happening right now about Bitcoin spark their curiosity to do that so that we have people who actually understand this network speaking about it on camera. So that being said, particularly with the media, they like bad. And I think this is fair to say the media, bad news sells, right? Somebody has a good day. That's going to get buried in the news. If, if, you know, something happens bad, right? Crashes down. That's front page news. Um, once again, you've been in the space a while. You've been through the markets. Uh, we're in a bear market as, as most would say. Well, we've, it seems like we are. Um, people that are just got in, let's say in November, right? When, when the hype was going up uh, last fall and they bought, and let's say somebody, somebody bought Bitcoin at 69,000. And even though we believe in it and we know historically, DCA, you've done well over time. That person is sitting there and saying, well, I mean, I bought a 69. It's worth, you know, it's worth 23. This is, doesn't look good to me. So I would say this. What would you say? And this is not financial advice, but just general thoughts and sentiments on the markets. What do you tell somebody that's 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 watching this podcast, listening to it, say, well, yeah, but, you know, I don't think it's ever it's ever coming back. <laughs> well, I definitely do think it's coming back. Look, everything is cyclical and bear markets are actually the best time in order to accumulate and build wealth, whether you're looking at traditional markets or new uh, assets like Bitcoin. So I would say that even though it feels safer buying in the green, it's actually safer buying in the red because it is going to go up again. And I think that the performance has spoken for itself. Right now, we're in sort of a, a liquidity drainage mode because of what's happening with central banks and them trying to fight inflation. Um, and the market's reacting to that because there was so much uh, monetary expansion over the last two years. But you know, eventually, not only do I think that Bitcoin's going to go up, but I think it's going to decouple from things like equities when people really understand the the value of it, the value of the network, and why it can never be manipulated or expanded. So it has that true scarcity value to it that I think will cause the number to go up and up to infinity over time. Um, and that that being said, I also want to address the first thing you said because you know. A lot of people will say, yeah, media thrives on sort of bad news. But you know, I want to throw it back to, to the viewers out there because everything is really based on, on viewership and what gets audience eyeballs. And you know, it's funny when I was in journalism, um, a, a lot of us reporters who want to cover maybe, maybe happier things that would be more fulfilling, uh, we would get the feedback that those actually the the viewership numbers drop when you do happier stories. And that's why they tend to be placed at the end of a show because what do you think, you know, people are voyeuristic. And so when there's a car crash, what do we do? We turn our head. Um, and so there's something about human nature, unfortunately, that's pulled toward the chaos and the polarization and the division and social media allows us to capitalize on it. And, and that's really sad, but it's the unfortunate truth. The reason why the media is telling those stories or sharing those stories is because those are the ones that get the eyeballs and the views. So I, we're, we're a little bit to blame for that. Um, and I, I do think that, you know, it might be frustrating if you bought at the highs, but I think that, you know, first of all, this isn't investing is not a science. None of us can time the market. We don't have a crystal ball, but I would certainly rather have bought at 60K and seen it gone down, draw down to 20,000 or maybe a little lower. And then when it shoots up to 100, 200, you know, I'm in, I'm in the green. I've made a profit as opposed to sitting and waiting and saying, you know what, this thing's going to go to zero. And then here it is at 100, 200, and now you can't buy as much, right? <laughs> so um, there, there's lots of ways to, to look at it, but I'm very bullish long-term, even though there's maybe some more short-term pain ahead. 
You know, but that's interesting you say that because that's how odd human, human psychology is because right now we know it is at a low price. It looks like, I, I feel like it's bottomed out, um, but it looks like obviously it goes on a run at some point. Um, it, I see it happening. But people, human psychology will not really, a lot of them will not get back until they see it on the news is like you're talking about. <laughs> once it starts going, like once it hits 100,000, everybody starts jumping in. And exactly. it's, just, just, it's just odd how that works. But yeah, it is. You know? Yeah, it's very yeah. true. That's that's why we have those memes. I'm sure you've seen them on uh, Bitcoin Twitter, where there's like a, a line out the door when Bitcoin is sixty nine thousand, and then nobody wanting to buy it, ne- you know, next door when it's twenty thousand. But yeah, human psychology is a weird thing when you feel like things are are, are crumbling and cascading and and cl- you know going down. Then you feel like you don't want to buy in, but when you see things going up and up, you think you missed you the boat, so you want to jump into the water and try to catch the life raft. Um, but you know, I also understand that these are really, really tough times. And a lot of people don't necessarily have a lot of disposable cash because of the situation that was created in my opinion, by, uh, fiscal and monetary policies. And so, you know, I, I hope that we get into a better situation and, and Bitcoin, I think is the life raft for, for that so that people can start saving again and accumulating wealth as opposed to, you know, being, uh, in beholden slaves to this financial system that benefits the elites at the expense of everybody else. So that that leads me into the, the the next part of, you know, we talk about it's fun to kind of speculate on price and whatnot of it, but the the what it does, the actual, you know, the actual concept of why or, or the, the reason why Bitcoin works, you know, you've seen countries adopt it. Uh, you've had interviews, right, uh, with that. Um, what, you know, there's no doubt that people that believe and understand why Bitcoin works and why you can have control and you're able to, to you know, control your own so you're able to send it. Um, it's helped in other countries, right? It's helped. It's helped with stuff. What countries could you see, or would you even want to speculate what countries could accept it next? Uh, you know, Salvador did. Um, as you know, what what other ones could you see happening? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's going to start in smaller nations, emerging and developing countries, more in Latin America, Africa. Um, I've heard uh, places like Madeira, per- perhaps. But, you know, these countries have been very dependent on the dollar. And as the dollar gets stronger, you know, a lot of these countries suffer far worse inflation and they really can't compete in a global market. And so they they have a lot of tough times for, for the people out there. That's why, you know, it's bad here in the U.S. and we're getting frustrated about price hikes. But look ac- across the globe. Civil unrest is breaking out and people literally can't afford the price of energy, the price of food. And so those are the nations where I think Bitcoin carries the most immediate value, both as a store store of value and as a savings technology, but also as a medium of exchange. And it's beating the rates of inflation that are in many countries. So I think we're going to see more and more countries adopt it. I think El Salvador is an experiment that right now the media or certain central bankers can criticize because of the price drop. But you know that's being very short-sighted because, again, in the long term, First of all, Bitcoin's performance has spoken for itself. And number two, a country adopting it, I see as extremely progressive because the leaders of that country will never be able to expand the supply in order to finance whatever projects they want to finance or their re-elections. They will never be able to manipulate it or control it. So I think it's a really powerful movement in the right direction. And the earliest adopters, those countries are probably going to benefit a lot in the long run. I, I agree with you on that. I mean, there, there's no doubt. And it's just, it's fascinating to see, once again, you go back five years and now, I think what today, the news with BlackRock um, uh, doing what they're doing. And, you know, JP Morgan called it Tulips and Beanie Babies, right? I'll fire any trader five years ago. Now they have the, the mm-hmm. it's, it's desk. 
Um, there's no doubt that you're seeing more adoption. Um, what would you want to see? Let's just go five years in the future, 10 years in the future. And this is kind of a, 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 a an open question, but and it could be a lot of things. But what are like one or two things that when you look at it, you want to see Bitcoin achieve? Yeah, I really just want people to be more educated about it because I think once people start to understand Bitcoin and the problems that it's trying to address, I think our nation has a chance to become less divided and less polarized. When we realize that we're actually fighting about the symptoms as opposed to the root cause, the sort of cancer that exists in the system, and we can drive at the heart of that and address it, I think that we could actually build out a more inclusive, fair economy that's based on a lot more value, that's a lot more productive for everyone. Right now, I just think that everyone feels left behind. They feel frustrated. They feel like the system is unjust and rigged, but it, they they don't know who to blame. And so we see these kind of political forces coming out, right? And they throw slingshots at one another, but none of them are really addressing the true crisis, which is that our, our the, the pa- purchasing power of our money is decreasing every single year. The money that's printed mostly goes to the top. It goes to the corporations that buy back stocks and they pay their executives you know, a lot of money. Uh, it goes to, to, to companies on uh, in Wall Street, which get bailed out if they take too much risk because the Fed comes in and bails them out. And then everybody else is is left trying to buy more expensive stocks and way more expensive real estate. And we have these bubbles. And so it's not surprising that the average person who's young, you know, graduates from college, has a whole bunch of debt, which also the government has incentivized through uh, through easy money. And now they, they get a low paying job and they don't know how to accumulate enough in order to purchase a house like their parents once did. Um, so I think it has like this, this real effect and domino effect in society. And it leads to, I think, a breakdown in our social structure from communities to families. And I think Bitcoin can actually really address and fix that. And it's it's because Bitcoin is such a, a pristine new form of money that allows us to transact value and creates a system in which the government can no longer really pick winners or losers. It's really going to be based on on value, on on goods, services, supply and demand, and maybe real interest rates, which we haven't and had a, in a really long time. They're always artificially suppressed so that these you know, big people on top can, can uh, lo- um, take out easy loans. So I think that that is the biggest thing. I want more adoption, Bitcoin in the hands of more people around the world. And the second thing is I want there to be, and I think there will be more clarity when it comes to the ecosystem at large, because again, Bitcoin gets conflated with all the other cryptocurrencies. And right now we're seeing, I think, what is a healthy washout of the system and projects that are, are you know, meant to fail. And people need to learn those hard lessons, unfortunately, because anyone can create a cryptocurrency just like anyone could create a website when the dot-com uh, bubble happened. And really, you know, we have to see who's standing when the tide comes out. So, um, so I think that Bitcoin will, will be the, the top dog. I don't think there's any, any competitor really to Bitcoin. And I think the other projects, the other cryptocurrencies that are going to survive, they need to be deemed security so that people understand the risks. They understand what's centralized about them and who's in control and who's, you know, investing the money in the ICOs, um, so that they can make the, the appropriate risk decisions. And I think that Bitcoin will be a medium of exchange, a store of value, a savings account, and someday thing, more things will be priced in Bitcoin. So that's that's interesting you say that because I, I don't think there's any doubt that you know Bitcoin is the king. You know Bitcoin's the one that matters. Um, you know that's that's going to be the main one. Um, any of the alts, so there's twenty thousand plus alts. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, only a few will survive. Most of them will not. There's I, there's there's no question about that. Um, the ones that I always say that are really doing something actually you know have something real. Um, that being said, though, you bring up when we talk about the SEC. 
it seems like, you know, so I used to watch, so Gary Gensler, right? He actually taught at MIT. And I remember seeing some of the videos and I'm not, you know, going back to college days, right? Like, I don't remember like the last time I've watched it, but when he would talk about crypto, he sounded like somebody, you know, two o'clock in the morning when you went out drinking and you get like a pizza. Like, he was so happy. And he, I mean, he just enthusiastic about it. As a regulator, he's had to put, I guess, the personal feelings aside and, and do what he, what he does. You see what the SEC did with Coinbase and whatnot, of course, going after those for those particular allegations. And Coinbase filed right on the same day, right, when that happened. What do you think? Because it seems like for the SEC, you know, how do you think they deal with all this as far as deeming? And this is just a general question, right? They, I mean, they look at Bitcoin one way. They look at, you know, Ethereum, right? Look at the alts. How do you think they deal with everything uh, to, let's say, help the growth of the industry or hamper it? I mean, how do you see the SEC dealing with it? Because obviously it's the elephant that was in the room and it's now it's sitting at their table and they're there too. And it, something's got to give, right? So what do you think? Yeah. I mean, well, overall, if you follow me, you probably get the, the notion that I am not a fan of over uh, regulation of these kind of big government entities that have ballooned and ballooned over the years, um, funded by by taxpayers. And these these people have massive salaries, massive pension funds. And I just uh, I just don't think that they're all that competent, to be honest with you. Um, and so within the SEC, I will pull Gary Gensler out of the mix because I don't know how educated all of the people that are working at that agency are about what Bitcoin is, what the difference between Bitcoin, Bitcoin and crypto is. I'm sure that they're working to, you know, get everybody up to up to speed. But I did actually watch Gary Gensler's full lecture at MIT online because I wanted to, I wanted to see it. And Gary does understand Bitcoin. So you know, I think that there are a lot of questions about why he's making certain decisions and whether, you know, politics are involved in that because he does run such a big agency and in, in, in the most powerful government. And, and it makes me wonder why he didn't approve that spot ETF, you know, Grayscale trying to convert into the spot ETF, other companies trying to, to, to put out a, a Bitcoin spot ETF, which exists in other countries. There's precedent. And yet Gary Gensler has, has halted that. And so I question that because it would allow for price discovery and it'll allow for more on ramps for things like pension funds to get into Bitcoin. Maybe there's a, maybe there's a bigger agenda at play. I don't know because I'm not in these rooms and, and it's just speculation, but I will say Gary seems to really understand. Bitcoin. Uh, it's the only one that he feels comfortable publicly identifying as a commodity, as opposed to all the others. He he's you know made references to to saying that most of the other cryptocurrencies are in fact securities and and, and should have the proper disclosures. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen with that, but you know I, I certainly am someone who believes in less regulation so that the free market can can rule and decide where uh, value is best allocated. I don't think government is very good at allocating value. So, so I, I'm going to say something. I have, I think it's about 27th podcast. I have never said one negative thing about the crypto industry. And I'm going to say something negative right now or something I think they need to change. Okay. Cause I've always been very complimentary of, of the industry. And I, I, I mean, I do it every day. I love it. I breathe it, you know, check in Twitter all the time. I was the one thing that we need to do, I feel is when you look at, like you say, you know, what the agenda is exactly the banking industry gives tons of money to Congress, as we know. And as the SEC is supposed to be independent, but let's call it like it is, there's political stuff there. I read, now, if the stat is accurate, that I think last year or two years ago, the total crypto, uh, 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 what do you say, like not donation, but like to lobbyists um, was like $7 million. Now, if that's the case, because, you know, look, we're out there naming, we have two sports arenas, uh, you know, two NBA arenas in the uh, United States named for crypto. I mean, so much money's been spent. If they've only spent $7 million on lobbying, uh, interest versus the banking industry, right? Which is doing so much because 
that's what it seems like they're doing is they're siding with the banking industry. Crypto, I really feel needs to step up on that. Well, you know, and this is the problem with our current system, right? Because there's this feeling that everyone has that politicians are essentially essentially bought by special interests. And that can really only exist in a fiat system where the money keeps flowing and the money printer keeps going and politicians can essentially make promises um, that they don't even have to keep, right? And they keep their jobs instead. Uh, but in under a Bitcoin standard, that would actually be a lot harder because once you're handing out your Bitcoin to a particular elected official, uh, there's not going to be more of it potentially, you know, so, so you're, you might be losing out on your Bitcoin that you might not get back. And, uh, and politicians would actually have to be more accountable and more responsible for the things that they promote and, and initiate. Um, so I think that things would be very different in terms of, again, decoupling that, that money and state relationship that is so close. It's a marriage that's very, very close right now. You're, you're very right. Wall Street and government. I don't know who wears the pants is something that I think think Saifedean said in one of his books, and I, I agree with it. Um, so yeah, I really hope that we 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 drain, you know, um this this system in which politicians only care about the short term about getting reelected and they have to suck up to whatever special interests they need to suck up to in order to get the money. And then here they are in office after five decades. And what has happened to the cost of living into the average American's life? It's gotten harder and harder. And now they're raking in hundreds of thousands of dollars, taxpayer money. They have their retention, their pensions all set, their retirement all set. Um, they work until they're, you know, 90 years old. And I I, I just I don't understand how we got here. Um, so I hope that Bitcoin can address some of these things by going to a system that is completely decentralized where no one has more power than anybody else in terms of access to the, the money. And that is completely scarce. So you can't print more of it if you want to finance something or, or get reelected. And look, Natalie, somebody's going to come at me and say, they're going to say, I can't believe you said you should, you know, you should lobby. No, I'm not saying that it should be like that. I'm just saying when you see, like, I think there was a representative that was, you know, really against crypto when you look at his and all of his yeah. donations. You know what I mean? And so mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, it's the system. But yeah, I just, you know, I really feel like they're trying to figure out how to handle it. On the flip side, crypto is getting bigger and bigger. And you're seeing with even banks where they potentially uh, custody stable coins in some kind. So it's definitely the financial elephant in the room that they try to ignore, but it's there now and it's not going anywhere. So I think that's uh, that's the best part. But, you know. Well, and we're seeing now like BlackRock today announced a partnership with Coinbase. We're seeing Fidelity offering Bitcoin. We are going to see more and more of these institutions and um, and investment firms and, and hedge funds get into Bitcoin. And I would like to see the average person get in on it first, you know, and that's part of my mission to educate people because I want them to be able to accumulate more once the, the the big banks can come, you know, come in, they can set up set down purchases that are massive and drive the price up, and it makes it feel even harder for the average person to start to accumulate, even though it's never too late. Uh, so I want the I want the average investor, the retail investor, to hear about Bitcoin first. I, absolutely, and you know, you bring about the transparency. I mean, the fact is, it's it's you know, blockchain doesn't lie, right? You're always able to see what's going. Even like with politicians, they may not want, you know, to be uh, be transparent like that. No doubt about that. But yeah, BlackRock, that was interesting. What five years ago, oh, it's the worst thing in the world. Now it's like they're teaming up. So it's, you know, don't listen to what they say, watch what they do. But yeah, it's yes. uh, interesting to see that. So, well, uh, well, let me ask you this on a, on, a, on a different thing. Right now, plane comes to your house. It's going to take you anywhere in the world. You got one or two countries you can go to for the weekend. Where are you going? I'm going to Italy. <laughs> I, I used to I used to live there. Um, so I speak Italian. I miss it. It's like a second home to me. I lived in Florence for two years. So I love Tuscany. I love the Amalfi Coast. I haven't been since before COVID because of how crazy things have been. Uh, so I would 
immediately jump on a plane to Italy. Okay. And where's a, where's a place that you've wanted to go that you've never been that's, that's on your list? Oh gosh, there are so many places. I would love to explore Asia a little bit more. I would love to go to South Korea and to Singapore and to Thailand. Uh, so I would pick one of those places as well. Oh, cool. And, uh, and food wise, you're going out to eat. What's like, what's one of your favorite foods? I love Italian food. Uh, I make a lot of Italian food, a lot of pasta sauces. I love steak. So I would probably pick an Italian restaurant. Okay, cool, cool, cool. All right. So uh, people are looking for you. They're trying to find you. Where do they find you on Twitter? Uh, where do they find your podcast? And what is the best way for people to get in touch with you? Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me on the show. Good luck with it. Um, I'm very active on Twitter at Nat Brunel. I tweet a lot about economic issues and Bitcoin. My podcast is called Coin Stories. You can find it on YouTube, Google, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. I also host a new show called Hard Money, which is Bitcoin headline and economic news on YouTube. And you can also visit me on my website, TalkingBitcoin.com. Natalie Brunel, I appreciate you taking the time to come on the Big Dog Crypto Podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Big Dog Crypto Podcast. Follow on Twitter at WoofBigDog. Woof, big D-A-W-G. And run faster than the competition. Woof, woof.